Hi, my name is Mark Williman, the host of Supervisory Basics, a 12-episode podcast series that examines how individual contributors can transition to effective leaders. This podcast series is based on the Supervisory Basics training program from Impact Achievement Group, a training and performance management consulting company. The Supervisory Basics training program consists of 12 individual yet linked two-hour training modules delivered in leader-led or e-learning formats. For more information, go to impactachievement.com, where you can also download lots of great articles on all the topics we discuss in this podcast series. This is episode six, and the topic is developing great performance review skills, tips and guidance for new managers. To discuss today's topic, it is my pleasure to welcome back Rick Tate, Senior Managing Partner at Impact Achievement Group and an internationally recognized expert on management, leadership development, and customer loyalty. Welcome back, Rick. Thanks, Mark. Good to be back. Rick, would you explain the key difference between great performance review skills and poor performance review skills and why it's important to a new manager's ability to manage his or her direct reports? Sure, Mark. You know, before I do that, a little context I think is important. Uh, the irony about the formal performance review or performance appraisal process, no matter what that process is, in businesses in America, gets pretty poor marks. Uh, latest surveys have shown that 85% of the managers and 85% of the people uh, who are on the receiving end uh, really don't enjoy the process and and have some uh, uh, some complaints about it. And so... I've noticed that there's just this over-reliance on the administrative process, the, the form, uh, the required uh, feedback structures, the required conversations, and little emphasis on the managerial, interpersonal, and performance management skills that'll, that'll manifest that administrative process into some decent results. And so that's where the skill uh, comes in, because performance review is a very serious process. Uh, both for the employee being reviewed and the organization. I mean, the fact that performance review marks have a profound effect on an employee's earning power, uh, their career, their promotability, etc. This necessitates supervisors and managers, I think, developing expertise in mm-hmm. the skills that drive an effective performance review process so people see it as, as, as both fair and effective. Uh, the, we know this, the former of the system will fail without sufficient managerial and supervisory skills. And over the years, we've been able to identify three what I would call macro skill sets that are the foundation of effective performance review. Uh, one is the ability to set clear and result-oriented performance expectations, followed by the ability to establish clear and relevant standards of performance, clearly articulating what good performance does look like in a particular job. And then the third skill set is the ability to create relevant metrics, that is, measurements that allow both the manager and the employee to track progress during the review period so there's no surprises. These three skills puts the employee and the supervisor on the same page, and it makes the process more objective and less subjective, eliminating surprises and the unfairness that results in in many of the cases that we've seen. When it comes to setting clear expectations, can you explain the difference between activities and results and why that's important? Yeah, that's been an interesting one for, for us to look at. It's amazing to me how often in a performance review and the evaluation and what people are actually evaluated on the, at the end of the year, 
there's a heavy emphasis on tasks, duties, and responsibilities with a lower emphasis on the results that those tasks, duties, and responsibilities should translate into to make the business prosper. So a result-oriented or outcome-oriented performance expectation is one that really reflects the desired end results that really drive the business, the division, or the department uh, of, of the organization. Profit, sales figures, customer satisfaction, budget, cost containment are such examples of results. Activities and tasks are things that people need to do to achieve those desired results. So supervisors and managers who become adept at managing the activities do a good job. Managing the activities is different than the evaluation. Uh, We need to manage the activities to ensure direct reports are attending to those key tasks and activities. But the evaluation should be, does it ever translate into, into results that drive the business? Uh, employees should be evaluated on, on those. That's what matters. So, example, uh, cold calls and sales numbers. Uh, a common troublesome trap is creating expectations and standards for performance evaluation around, uh, around cold calls. Uh, how many cold calls did somebody make? And evaluating the success of that person on the amount of cold calls, even though those cold calls might not even have resulted in actual sales numbers going up. Uh, so once again, manage the cold calls, make sure people are doing them, teach them how to do them right, coach those things. But at the end of the day, it's whether the person uh, drives the sales numbers that really counts. Yeah, it makes sense. What are minimum performance standards and why are they so important? Well, minimum performance standards is the level of acceptable performance required for a person to hold on to his or her job. Uh, you know, when, when jobs are created, it's created with some framework in mind of some desired uh, level in mind that makes that job worthy of the compensation for it. So performing the job at that level would be considered acceptable. That is, the person is earning his or her money. Anything less, uh, steps should be taken to improve that uh, person's performance and or remove the person for the job as they're not performing at the level to earn their pay. Anything more above that performance uh, standard that's acceptable for the job should be rewarded, recognized, or acknowledged in addition to what they pay. So when performance standards aren't clear, the predictable outcome is disagreements over the evaluation, arguments on how hard or how much effort an employee puts in, complaints of fairness in the evaluation process, and the inability to enforce a consistent accountability. Um, An added note, uh, is it can lead to legal issues for the organization during times of any employee labor litigation that may come up uh, in the in the process. It's always an interesting insight to that, Mark, is that when people are unclear about the standard of acceptability, that that minimum standard that allows a person to earn their money and keep their job, when the employee is unclear about that, the only thing they can judge their own their own uh, performance on is the effort and time they put in, and and we have, you know, files of conversations of interviews of people talking about how hard they work, the effort they give, and all, and all that, and and it's you know that's the only thing they can do, and then the manager is upset because they're not getting the acceptable level of standards. So that clarity is critical both for coaching but also for the evaluation process. It seems like an obvious question, Rick, but why is it important to routinely track and measure performance, and what does a new manager do if the employee's job performance is less quantifiable and more qualitative? 
Well, you're right, Mark. I think the first part is obvious. The second part is where sometimes uh, we we get into a trap. I mean, without the, the bottom line is without measurement, no one knows how well anyone is doing. So it would be like you know I'm, I'm managing my a team of baseball players, right? But we're we're not we're not showing the scoreboard during the innings. We just wait till the game's over and then show whether the teams have won or lost. Uh, without good measurements, the employee's in the dark about his or her own performance, and the manager's supervisor is left to guesswork when it comes time for the review. So keeping score is essential to effective business performance, just like it is in athletics. Uh, the measurements allow for effective decision-making regard what to do to ensure progress towards those end results. So, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my behavior as a player on the field if I know I'm one run behind or one run ahead in a certain situation and how I have to adjust uh, my behavior and my performance to help the team win. So without good metrics, we're in trouble. Um, some performance issues, like you say, uh, cost, budget, quantity, customer satisfaction numbers, any kind of those quantitative metrics, you know, those are fairly easy. The rub comes down with performance issues that are more difficult and that they are qualitative. And the supervisor must ask themselves, who's in the best position to judge the outcome of this type of performance? Are, are customers the source? in which I should uh, measure people's performance, people in other departments who are on the receiving end of what people do, and the manager or supervisor. What role do they play in, in the subjectivity part of, of a metric? And, and, and it's okay. You know, when performance is qualitative, it puts more necessity on the supervisor and manager to clearly articulate what good performance looks like and the standards. Um, there's always some standard of acceptability and a way to measure it. I even had a person in a, a food company one time, and their job was to uh, evaluate their people in terms of the quality of recipes they put on the back of packages. Um, that's a that's a taste is a qualitative measure. You know, in interviewing that manager, we just talked about their process and doing it, and and her response I think was right on target. You know, you got to give yourself permission to manage. There's a reason I'm in this job. Uh, my tastes are reasonable, so when I taste the recipes uh, that my people produce, I have to call the shot, and I make the judgment on whether they're meeting acceptable uh, taste standards for the organization or not. Uh, it's okay to have a subjective measurement as long as people are clear on what that measurement's going to be. Yeah. Rick, one more question. You write about the five-on-five five process. What is that? It. it uh, it, it's the result of an accident, Mark. Several years ago, uh, I was talking with a manager uh, at lunch one day because I was doing some one-on-one -on -one coaching for this individual. And uh, he said he was having trouble with, with getting a, a really talented, really talented employee who had a great attitude, uh, trouble getting them focused and getting the things done they needed to get done. And, and this had been going on for some time. And I just... Uh, in the process of the conversation, actually, I said, listen, do me a favor. I said, you know, and I gave him a napkin that I had at the table. I said, write down on this napkin the five most important things, the key areas of responsibility that, that you hold this person accountable for or need them to get done. And then try to put them in a, for me, in a priority order that if I had to pick and choose, you know, how would you prioritize them from A, B, C, D, or E on the list? And I, and I watched I watched him sit there at the table and actually kind of struggle articulating the five areas, and then even had a little bit more struggle prioritizing them, which gave me kind of a hint that that might be the problem. If the manager or supervisor themselves has trouble articulating what they want done, uh, 
then my gosh, in the process of managing that person, that person's probably lacking the clarity and focus. So he got it done, and, and I said, let me, let me go talk to the individual. And all I did is take another napkin and went and talked to that. And I said, write down on, on this napkin the five most important things your boss holds you accountable for. And if you had to guess his priority for those things, what would they be? And uh, when I got his napkin back, I compared the two, and there was only one that was the same on the list. <laughs> And I just went back to the manager and I said, I said, I said, here's the, here's the difficulty. It's alignment of clarity. And over time, you know, we've done that for years, uh, Julie and I uh, with our clients. And we find that how often we get about, you know, three of the five on the list that are common. And just think about that. When you're 40% off in your focus and clarity between the employee and the manager, some downstream unintended consequences aren't going to be too pleasant. So we've, uh, We've used it as an informal process, a way of, of, of alignment, and we find that there's, uh, and we always suggest use a napkin or a scrap piece of paper because the last thing organizations need is another form, and then it just becomes a, another administrative requirement. But the four times that we use this process or suggest it to be used for alignment and keeping manager and employee on the same page is obviously when somebody's new into a job, that's one situation. When there's a performance problem, it's another one just to make sure alignment's not the problem because that's the easiest one to solve. When new initiatives and programs are introduced in an organization that start to compete for time with the other roles, that's a nice time to do one. And then we always suggest, and uh, we've had some feedback that it works really good, is quarterly as an informal way of keeping everybody on the same page so that at the, end, at the review process at the end of the year, there's no surprises on what people should be working at. And uh, over the years, we've gotten some feedback that it's a nice informal technique that is non-confrontive and, uh, and gets some good payback. Yeah, that's great advice. Rick, thanks for sharing your insights. Enjoyed being here again, Mark, as always. For more information on this topic, Impact Achievement Group, or the Supervisory Basics Series, please visit impactachievement.com. And remember, all of our podcast episodes are available for download on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store and search for Supervisory Basics Podcast and subscribe to the feed. Join us next month for episode number seven, where we'll discuss handling difficult situations. Thank you. 